0: Okay, Voice of San Diego podcast, August 8th, 2020. Take one, <laughs> three, two. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. My name is Scott Lewis. I'm the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Keats. Hello, Andy. Scott, how are we? Pretty well, thank you. Pretty well. Great. And managing editor, Sarah Libby. Hello. Hello. Coming up on the show today, we've got drama at City Hall. The city council boycotted its own closed session after the city attorney threatened a reporter and then declined to hand out confidential documents. We'll try to break down why that all happened. Nobody knows. (laughs) It's a very weird situation. Another example of, of uh, purely functional governance at City Hall. Since 2013, the San Diego Police Department and its officers have issued 83 tickets to people they accused of using seditious language. We have a story on those tickets this week and the 100-year-old law that officers are using when they hear things they don't like. Seditious language. And for a while, we've been speculating how this dystopian future of education and childcare may play out, and now some of it is reality. Dozens of not-schools are popping up and making it possible for some kids to go to what looks like school, if they can afford it. And on the second half of the show, we'll hear from atmospheric chemist Kim Prather. She'll share what she's been learning about the coronavirus and how it works inside versus outside She had to stop by Voice of San Diego at home before she could, of course, go and see, as she says, Tony Fauci. I'm just going to drop by, talk to Tony Fauci.
1: I don't like it. It's too informal.
0: Right? It's got to just be Anthony, right? Exactly. (laughs) All right, let's get into this. So uh, Tuesday... The San Diego City Council was set to have a closed session. They do this often. That's where they handle real estate transaction negotiations, lawsuits they got to decide how to handle. There are a few things that government bodies in California are allowed to do behind closed doors. Um, And in those meetings, actually, the mayor presides over those closed sessions. But uh, most members of the San Diego City Council on Tuesday boycotted it. It was a protest of city attorney Mara Elliott's decision to provide verbal legal reports instead of all the written documents that they need to consider for their decisions that day. And uh, it was just the latest in about a week-long saga with the city attorney and with the city council and with the news media. Uh, It all starts last week with that weird letter she sent to Dorian Hargrove. Okay, she didn't send it even though her name was on it. Uh, one of her top criminal guys, uh, remember there's two sides of the city attorney. There's the city attorney side that does litigation and advising of the city council and, and the city. The other side that does criminal work, the guy who's, who helps lead the criminal side, sent a letter to our friend Dorian Hargrove at NBC, and it, was, it, it caught us all a little bit off guard. It was a little, little scary. The letter said, Basically, hey, you got a hold of a document. It was a investigative analysis of the um what happened at the 101 Ash Street. We've talked about it before. The city leased to own this building. They wanted to move hundreds of of city employees into it instead of paying rent. They wanted to have a building of their own near City Hall, right behind our building. And uh the investigative report about that had been leaked to NBC7. He had asked for comment but He hadn't even published it yet, right? Uh, he asked for comment uh, from the city attorney's office about it, and they, instead of commenting, wrote back to him, you're now the subject and witness in a criminal probe. Protect your documents. We're coming for you, buddy. It's kind of freaky. It was... Yeah. It was freaky. I, You know, look, like
2: people have asked me what our perfect version of of what they should do in this situation is if we recognize that there is some need for confidential sharing of information among city officials. And I, I mean, I, my, my most simple, honest take on the matter is that journalists have a job to do. And if you lose track of a document, that is your problem to figure out. It is. Under no circumstances ever our problem.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a pretty basic, like don't shoot the messenger kind of deal.
0: Yeah, so in California, just for those who don't know, there is a shield law um, that more or less protects journalists uh, from these kinds of investigations and and subpoenas. Uh, it is a pain, though. Something like this happens if he, if he got subpoenaed or, or his records and they tried to find out who his source was, he'd have to go and NBC would have to pay for a lawyer to to shoot that down. And there is a chance that a judge wouldn't be, um, you know, aware of this law as this apparent city attorney was not and then would force them to go through a lot of hassle, a lot of expense to shoot it down. It's a, It's a mess.
1: So one thing that I thought was kind of notable about this. Um, so Mara Elliott almost immediately backtracked, right? She issued an apology saying, oh, I would never go after a journalist. I would never interfere with a journalist trying to do their job. This was, you know, a mistake on the part of this deputy city attorney, um, and sort of blamed it on, you know, this underling of hers who'd sent the letter And if you remember back to the whole debacle in which, you know, her office tried to propose a law that would cripple the Public Records Act, you know, another instance of hampering reporters doing their jobs, um, Corey Briggs, who's of course running against her for this job, sued, um, for the documents related to that whole deal of how the law came to be. And... In a deposition related to that, um, Mara Elliott once again said, oh, you know, I didn't really know any of this was happening. It was one of my deputies who just was interested in public records laws, and and he just took the ball and ran with it, and I just had no idea. I would personally never try to decimate the Public Records Act, um, so it's kind of an interesting situation of just happening to be a victim of her own employees in situations that would just happen to hamper journalists
2: and 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 also her statement made made it seem like this was a uniquely bad situation because of the the very specific letter that dorian received as though that was the problem and that she was you know taking that back that was a a take backsies on on the letter um but I think you know, as as Scott and I outlined in the in the politics report last week, this is a pattern of behavior with City Attorney Mara Elliott. She has demonstrated a clear belief um, that public that that she should keep a tight control of information, such that I, I you know I would refer to it as a uh, a general antipathy towards public information. Um, there was this incident instance. There was an instance with a leaked memo um to city councilman that city councilman Chris Kate allowed to become public first by giving it to uh, the developers behind the proposed Soccer City project which then made its way to the Union Tribune and was reported um and and, and then and she also the you know her her issue with the uh, public records um law the, at the state level in sponsoring that legislation so i i don't think that there's any question that this is if not a genuine reflection of her belief system a genuine reflection reflection of the processes and procedures she's put in place at the city attorney's office
0: yeah and i think she has you know if she were here i'm sure she'd say some version of well look i this information needs to be private and and taxpayers are put at risk if this information gets out on, on the other hand the information that came out made her and her or made her office at least look kind of bad as far as how it handled this this detail this deal and so you can't help but wonder whether the anger and the criminal threats that come or the criminal prosecution threats that come out of it aren't a result of of that humiliation as opposed to you know this this intense focus on public interest but that that focus translated this week she said to C- San Diego City Council members again they meet in these closed sessions she said you can't have access to the documents that we're going to be discussing in this closed session. If you want to come to my office and read them while I look at you, you can do that. Uh, If you want to come, uh, you can't take them with you and all that stuff. And so they responded by saying, well, we're not going to this closed session then. It was an incredible, I've never seen it before. They boycotted the closed session. I heard only one city council member went. Uh, Councilman Scott Sherman said, I couldn't in good conscience vote on important closed sessions items without having the proper time to review the backup material. Mark Kersey, if in my personal professional life, my lawyer refused to give me critical documents before heading into meetings where big decisions were made, I would find a new lawyer. And then Monica Montgomery and Vivian Moreno put out a a seething memo about what had happened. Andy, you have it there. She did put out a statement,
2: and that statement really says that uh that the the leak is a cause for concern um however it's an assault on the roles and responsibilities of council members for the city's attorney's office to only offer verbal briefings now so that is a very specific procedural concern and a an issue she's taken with this action about uh closed session but in in her other twitter account where she voices her unofficial statements councilwoman monica montgomery i think was quite a bit more direct in saying the same attorney who told the public bad decisions are made because council members don't read would not provide written material for closed session now here's where it gets really interesting with 101 ash as the backdrop there's no way I'll make decisions for the eighth largest city in the U.S. without the necessary documentation. That that clause, with 101 Ash as the backdrop, I see no way to read that other than you have already given us bad legal advice on this project. And I'm going to need to have some receipts handy if we're, we're going to make continued decisions on this matter based on your advice.
0: I think, you know... Um what I, I found it odd that she's projecting at least the city attorney's projecting at least ownership over this 101 Ash Street debacle. You know, she was not the city attorney when the transaction was made. Uh right. later, of course, with some of the, the fallout from it, she was. Um and and it seems like something she could easily uh, deal with a lot better, a lot more clearly. But now I I don't know. I've seen some controversial city attorneys. <laughs> In the last 17 years in the city of San Diego, and I have not seen uh, one that's lost the council to this degree before. Uh, Even uh, uh, Mike Geary had his had a couple friends for a while. Like I, I I feel like she's lost every single one of them. Um, And and it was played out. You know, they put a a measure up. They were going to put on the ballot that would strip her of most of her responsibilities as an elected official. Not necessarily her, but the city attorney. And um, it it was heading towards getting on the ballot. But Mark Kersey said, uh, city council member Mark Kersey said it didn't get on the ballot because the deputy city attorneys uh, were able to delay it enough in labor negotiations. And now it's not going to be on the ballot. He said it'll be back in 2022. Back in 2022. I've seen uh, interns come in and do some good work, but not sure I've seen an intern come in and blow the doors off of a story like this in a long time. Our intern, Kate Nucci, had the story of a fascinating 102-year-old law that is still being enforced in the city of San Diego. Since 2013, San Diego police have issued 83 tickets for what's called seditious language. The last one was in May. Uh, In her reporting, Nucci found an example of one man who got a ticket downtown because he was singing rap lyrics. Now, they weren't the most friendly to the police, it sounds like. But seditious language is generally defined as speech that aims to overthrow the government. 83
1: tickets. Yeah. I think that there are two really important points with this story, Um, and it's kind of gotten lost in just how insane this all is. But so... Having a law on the books banning seditious language is on its face unconstitutional. So you can try to invoke revolution all you want. That's constitutional. Um and yet she seems to have found that for the most part that is not at all what was happening when these citations were issued. You know, to the degree that to the degree that there's any details about them, it looks like what happens is people were swearing or offending a cop somehow um, and not talking about sedition in any way. And so it's just like a one-two punch of the law is not legal to begin with and then it's not even being enforced the right way if it were appropriate.
0: Well, it's like it's like uh, this guy pissed me off and this is a handy way to provide an infraction to sort of document that and, and get that uh, enforced.
1: Exactly. If you if you're being rude to a cop, if you're you know telling him to fuck off or whatever, you can bleep <laughs> that. Um, that's not illegal, it, um, but it's being made to be by people who you know these infractions again are things that don't uh, require you to have a lawyer to defend yourself, and so I think the result is just a lot of people don't know what their rights are and they're just forced to pay this fine.
2: But what's wild is at with 83 tickets which is is quite a lot that is a number that suggests the police are a- aware whether they're being told through training or whether they're telling one another that this is a tool available to su- to them if somebody out on the streets is sufficiently upsetting
1: absolutely and um We've found that it's a number of different officers who are writing these tickets, and so it's not just you know like one officer went and found this and and wrote fifty tickets because he thought it was the right thing to do. But it does seem like a, wa- a more widespread strategy, given the number of officers and the number of tickets involved.
0: One of the things that was interesting about this is nobody seemed to know about it. Uh, the, right. the we asked the cops to it's talk about at, it. At- at at eighty tickets, it's like right in
2: this this nether world where it's clearly a problem. It's 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 happening enough that it is a a problem, and it is and police officers know that they can use it, but not so much that people
0: had figured out that it was happening. So the right. the police department uh, refused to comment on it. An ACLU attorney said it seems to be highly unconstitutional. And uh, it just it, it broke the internet. There was a lot of discussion about it and a lot of tension. Uh, great job, to Kate. Of course, our history man, Randy Dotinga, got excited to to say like, "Oh, I know where the law came from," and came in with a, a great uh, explainer about San Diego's own weird history with free speech uh, in the in the nineteen in the teens. Uh, in the last century, there was a lot of hostility in the streets in San Diego uh, about free speech. There was a free speech zone uh, that was uh, it was a lot of, you know, wobblies and anarchists and stuff uh, speaking out. In the, and the, it was prohibited by the police and by the city leaders. And that got to be a big fight. And then, of course, during the uh, last p- pandemic, there was a huge fight about free speech. And that's when this law came in.
1: So one thing um, I just want to point out about Randy's story as well is that he also talked to law professors and they were just so unequivocal and, oh yeah, that's unconstitutional. You can't do that. Um, So I don't know of anybody who has said like, this is even a maybe. (laughs) It's really just like, everyone who has a legal background is like, oh no, that's blatantly illegal.
0: And and we joke, but like these people are paying fines, or they're getting saddled with collection agencies, or something, uh, for for what it seems blatantly unconstitutional.
1: Right, and you know, you mentioned the the man who was singing rap lyrics um, on his way to his car. Um, She found another ticket. Went to somebody inside their own home. I mean, just imagine being cited for the words you say inside your own home. It's really scary.
0: Yeah, that story, as Kate said, came. They were looking through data about misdemeanor, about infractions, and that came up, and she asked for more and um, and just discovered it. That, uh, you never know what you're going to find when you pull up some uh, data. So great job to Kate, and check that out at voicesanidego.org. All right. We talked for months about some theories, some gaming out of what might happen to schools, uh, to education as parents grapple with the reality that uh, they are not, their kids will not be going back to class, at least physical classes, this fall, and it's it's happening. Some of the things we thought they are happening. Um, the uh, there are there is now an explosion of sort of pop up private options uh, coming out a uh, proliferation of different things that parents can choose from to send their kids to what looks and feels like school. So uh here's a here's one the school nastics program a gymnastics uh gym in santa Marcos has announced that you can do school there, your your distance learning and some some gymnastics. So school nastics which which sounds awesome by the way. Oh, <laughs> uh,
2: it's very funny that you said that cuz I when I first saw it I thought the only person who is so enamored with combining two words is <laughs> Scott, is Scott Lewis. So, it's very funny that you independently were like, "Whoa, school nastics, uh, a real wordsmith over there."
0: <laughs> uh, then uh, I really started to get interested when we we heard about the Jewish Community Center uh, they were doing a full day uh, offering and, you know, where they would guide people through their distance learning. And Will Huntsbury pulled all this together and, and found even some more. He found a Coronado, Coronado Unified School District is going to contract with the Champions After School Program. It's going to provide this child care and guiding for distance learning on campus. So it's school on campus, but not school. Yeah, that was...
1: That's the craziest part of all this, I think, and if you combine it with the fact that, at least in San Diego Unified, the teachers have negotiated the right to do their online teaching from their classrooms on campus, so there are going to be teachers teaching on campus and there are going to be students learning on campus, and yet it's not at all school.
0: Yeah. You can you can have there was we talked with to a gymnastics company
2: in between those two people. Right. Yeah, well, collecting and, money,
0: and that's the key is that it looks and feels like school, but it's two hundred bucks a week at least, and obviously not everybody can afford that. We've all been waiting and watching for the big one. In my opinion, the YMCA serves tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in San Diego. If they open an option for all day care and school, you know, distance learning guidance, game on, man. This is game on as far as like it's gonna be crazy to watch so many different options. Now there's a couple rules. They they have to be licensed child care providers. So it's not clear that the gymnastics programs qualify, can can pull this off. But you add to it what we've also heard which is happening, which is Uh, Just a huge proliferation of these pods. So, we're getting uh, asked every week about being in what are you doing? What pod are you joining? You know, we're hiring a teacher to do this and this uh, for these families. Uh, What are you? Can you guys join us and share the cost of that? Well, that's kind of technically not allowed right now. Like, you're not allowed to gather people like that uh, unless you're a licensed childcare provider. Um, and then there's the issue of like, in my head, like one of the interesting points, if you hire a full-time teacher whom you're telling what to do every day, uh, you're telling them when to come, what how to do it, uh, y- that's an employee. And that means there's healthcare responsibility, there's work, you know, uh, compensation, there's, uh, there's the workplace injuries. What if they get sick? There's lots of, and then what about like special ed? There's so many questions that start uh, coming up. But uh, just incredible developments in that. Uh, Will, I think, rightly focused on some of the inequities that this obviously would expose or exasperate. I uh, spoke to a, um, uh, uh, one academic who said, it's deeply disturbing. We may get back to school and find that the gulf between students who had these opportunities and those who didn't is greater than ever before. I mean, I just, my head's just exploding. You can't have school and you can't have gyms open right now if you put them together, you can have school nastics <laughs> it's just insane it's uh it's it's crazy um now I guess
2: one question and this wouldn't be any sort of systemic fix to the inequity issues are there organizations that are proposing to offer this charitably or 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 with some sort of uh
0: public funding provide? Well, that's why we're all kind of watching the why because if the why gets into it, they do have some of those programs and and would ostensibly make it available to a lot more people. And there were some ideas. There's also these this weird like GoFundMe trend going on, like some of these white parents that are like, oh, I feel kind of bad. Let's set something up for somebody else too. Um, and that's, that's awkward. <laughs> it's like...
1: Yeah, it feels very patchwork. Um, I think there's a push to have some churches be involved at least in places like Los Angeles um but it's all just very scattershot and like the burden is on individuals and nonprofits um as opposed to like the government
2: yeah i mean and how long could that be the case it, like if 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 this situation persists for for weeks or months is our city governments county governments school districts really going to take the position that that they've set the boundaries around when school can resume and and they're no longer involved. They don't know that you know that this this new ad hoc system can crop up but they don't need to provide funding or guidance or you know at regulation.
0: Yeah, well so imagine if we start gaming it out like let's let's game out a backlash for a minute. A, a backlash to me it takes the form of teachers and teachers unions seeing this as a kind of scab movement, frankly, you know, like if you think about what's happening, a lot of them are reluctant to go back into the classroom. So I wouldn't call it a work stoppage or a strike necessarily, but they are saying it's not safe to go to work and we don't want to go to work until this or that happens. That's not unlike a work stoppage for better or different benefits or, or protections, Right. And so if you have a system come up that that actually replaces that, and in many cases pays sometimes credentialed teachers to do that work, you can see a a backlash in the sort of non-legal way of like a a shame-based one, maybe. But then a second type of backlash, I think, would be to use that power, that anger, that leverage to maybe try to crack down on these childcare laws that are are being sort of expanded to accommodate this, not expanded, but the the definitions of them being tested. And so then you see on the other side, the only way I can picture a backlash would be an actual crackdown on childcare, which is available right now, which would then threaten the childcare situations of literally tens of thousands of more people. So it's just, it's bananas. So, uh, we're going to be talking about all of this. April 12th, we're hosting a virtual town hall. We've got uh, San Diego uh, Unified's trustee, Richard Barrera, is going to come on and grapple with some of these questions. We've got the Jewish Community Center, the Lawrence Family Jewish Community Center uh, leader. She's going to talk about um, what is uh, what their program is going to be and a few others to handle some of these inequity issues, but also just what is going to happen. Teachers, parents, uh, students are all on the edge. You know, I think we've been kind of, it's its summertime. We're not supposed to be in school in some cases right now, so it still hasn't hit home just how big of a deal it is that physical schools aren't open. You can sign up to be a part of that discussion at voiceofsandiego.org slash events. That's voiceofsandiego.org slash events we're going to take a quick break now on the other side we have Dr. Kim Prather she's an atmospheric chemist we'll hear what she's learned about the virus ventilation and how schools might open she's advising San Diego Unified School District and I I was really interested in our conversation it's a good conversation stay with us This week, I was able to chat with Dr. Kim Prather. She's an atmospheric chemist at UC San Diego and Scripps Institution of Oceanography. She wanted to obviously come in and talk to us before she went to talk to, as she says, Tony Fauci tomorrow, or I guess today as the recording happened. So, uh, you know, we're a big stop on the, on the COVID uh, tour of, of, of um, academics and experts. Uh, very interesting interview. She is advising schools about how to open, and she helped us understand some very basic facts more clearly than we have at any time. So stay tuned. It's a great discussion. I want to understand what an aerosol is. So we yeah. hear a lot about droplets. Yeah. You know, I sneeze and a bunch goes out. I'm, I'm ex- I guess I'm putting out a lot right here, right now, yep. as uh-huh. I talk. Mm -hmm. Um, they're invisible uh, to us, but they're real. What is the difference between an aerosol and a droplet? Are they the same thing? What are we talking about?
3: The question of the day depends on whether you're a doctor, an epidemiologist, an aerosol scientist. I'll just tell you, an aerosol is just all suspended droplets in the air. So technically droplets are aerosols, but now we've sort of come to an agreement that aerosols so as you say, when you cough or you sneeze, which is typical for a normal sickness, you cough and sneeze and you project big drops that you can see really easily, right? right? So that's what the medical world has been very focused on is the big stuff. And that's where the six feet came from because those really big things will fall to the ground. Aerosols don't behave that way. They will follow the air and they will float in the air, particularly indoors for hours. They're much tinier, as you say, they're invisible you can't see them. And so, and there's many more of them, I will tell you. For this virus, they are playing, we think they're playing a key role. They can't be ignored anymore. And why we think that is because up to half of the people who are sick don't know they're sick. And they're walking around and they're not coughing and sneezing. If you cough and sneeze, stay home, right? But these people think they're fine. They have no symptoms. They're just spreading it for sometimes two weeks. They're infectious. And they're just breathing out aerosols when they talk. And so that's why bars and restaurants, indoor locations, churches are so dangerous right now is because without, if you don't have adequate ventilation. So one of the sort of lessons is to have better ventilation. This is why masks are so important. Masks largely are important for sort of wearing to block what we call block the source. So if you are sick and you don't know it, you're protecting others. They also will protect you. Um, They go in both directions. But they're largely sort of cutting off the aerosols from getting out into the air and floating around.
0: You, I follow you on Twitter, and um, what's your uh, Twitter handle? By the way, great follow.
3: Yeah, it's a yeah, it's kprather at eighty eight. Okay, yeah,
0: follow. uh, Wonderful discussion. But I did pick up that there's a really big debate in your world of science and scientists who are studying this virus about aerosols. I thought it was uncontroversial that me speaking like this and if you were across the table from me here that we would be in trouble of sharing this this virus back and forth um but apparently that debate about whether it's in the air and can get to somebody else is actually still going on right
3: yeah, it and absolutely wh- is
0: what is the what what is the contention on the other side you're on the side that says yes absolutely you sing in a choir. It can go up. It can go through the ventilation system and come back and get you right, get somebody else right in the eye or in the nose, yeah. and, and infect them. What's right. the other side saying, and what's the resolution? You said there's a compromise at the moment.
3: Yeah. So the other side, the WHO, <laughs> was a big part of the other <laughs> side. That. Yeah. And now, I, I, by the way, I'm doing a debrief for Tony Fauci tomorrow on this very topic. So okay. it's hot, and it will change. Hey, Scott Lewis sure.
0: and Anthony Fauci, yeah, yeah, it's a normal progression.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah I, talked, I did another one this morning, so I'm just on a roll right now. I'm practicing this on you. Let's see if you get it. All right. So see if you understand. See if you agree with me. So okay. WHO says that, so what it is, is it's just, it's a disagreement over what is a droplet and what is an aerosol based on size. That's the simple answer. So the WHO says that everything at five microns, which is really small um, and above, will settle within a meter, right? And that's a droplet. But the reality is aerosol scientists like me that study particles know that that's not true. And even, as I say, this all sort of started where Tony Fauci said something about, oh, if they're above five microns, they'll just fall, but they don't. So the actual cut should be 50 microns, five, zero. And so those, if it's 50 microns, when you spew it out, it will fall, fine. But Anything between, say, one and 10 microns, which is produced when you speak, not when you it's not as much when you, you know, there are produced when you cough and you sneeze. But again, this disease doesn't have as many coughers and sneezers walking around. So it's from speech that's really important. And that's where you're just getting this massive amount of these light, airy aerosols that can just float in the air. And so the the battle is over what you call them. So when we say it's airborne, um, they also don't like airborne. That's another word I'm not supposed to really say. Oops, I just said it. But you know, they're in the air, and I explain things to the public all the time, and they're in the air. And people say, "Oh, it will create fear." Well, it it doesn't. It hasn't created fear because it, it's a solution. It's such a fixable problem, and that's what I'm going to be talking to Fauci about tomorrow. It's actually related to schools. Ventilation is everything, and you can filter these out with masks and standalone HEPA filters. And there's just such good solutions. But if we keep pretending, That they're not there, that you know, there's going to be a lot more deaths.
0: So if you're so if you're correct, what you're saying is um, I am correct. Yeah, (laughs) sorry. So just to, I'm trying to say. So the next step in the logic is that if it is airborne and it can travel farther, then the key is to address it, as you said, with ventilation, with uh, with masks, protect people, protect them from going spewing all these things out. But then also once they're out, to what? Spread them into the out. Air. into when,
3: the- Outdoor is much safer than indoor because there's just so much clean air. So it's like they say it's like dropping a drop of dye into a swimming pool. You know, right. that kind of dilution happens to aerosols outdoors. So if you can just bring out as much outdoor air in it as you can. Unfortunately, one of the things I've learned, because I've learned a lot about ventilation lately, um, is that the buildings. Remember when we sort of went over, we had these energy crisis. We went to lead lead buildings. That's yeah. sealed. That means we're not bringing in fresh air. That's recirculated. These can just recirculate. So that's not going to be enough. And so then you have to filter the air using the right filters, these MERV filters, MERV 13 and above is what they're recommending. You have to do the right number of air exchanges per hour. But like for classrooms and older schools, and they're going to be more challenged. And so there are now becoming some, and I'm happy to talk about that. There's some really nice solutions for cleaning the air in a classroom. Um, But the bottom line is, you know, filtering the air, or at least bring opening the windows. The cheapest way is open the windows, open the doors. And we can do that in San Diego or eat outside, you know? Or
0: go outside, or, right? Or so, go outside, yeah. yeah. So so let's take my school, for example. Sure. Very, very old, um, but they just installed, literally just installed air conditioning. Yep. Um, yep. Now, air conditioning, bad or air conditioning, good?
3: Not good. Bad. It's, it's not good. It's recirculating. Ah. It's recirculating things. We don't know. Here's the deal: the the virus really. It's better to bring in clean air, and that's not what air conditioning does, right? So if you, but but also keep in mind that we don't know, like if it gets sucked into an air conditioner and churned through, does it stay alive? We don't. Nobody knows that, right? So maybe I, but it, I doesn't. It's much. I will just say it again: it's much better to have clean air from the outside.
0: Yeah. Nobody knows nobody knows if it dies there, but they know that if it was outside, it would dissipate uh, yep, a lot do better. Know that. Oh, so fast,
3: you... really fast. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: so when a school, so you, you mentioned that there are, there are ways to uh, address it, to clean the air or to, um, you said HEPA, what's that? The H-E-P- HEPA.
3: Yeah, it's just a high efficiency, I don't know, it's a high efficiency particle filtration system. And they're really simple, but they just, there are certain types of filters that take out certain they filter out, remove from the air certain sizes. And it turns out this virus is is about a micron the when it from speech. That's very different than a cough, which are much bigger. But the stuff that floats is about a micron, two microns, sort of in that range. That's the stuff that builds up indoors for sure. And that gets filtered out like 99% by a HEPA filter. No problem. And so, you know, that, that's what the HEPA filters do really well. And the ones that they're putting in the HVAC systems and buildings are called MERVs, similar, but they, you know, the higher the number for the MERV filter, the better, the smaller and the more particles that they filter out.
0: So if you're, you are advising schools and, um, and if you're at, if they're saying, what are the two or three things we could do right now to um, make schools safer? You would say, let me guess, wear masks everybody wears masks
3: indoors masks at all times no such thing as social distancing indoors ever right that's my big rule
0: yeah mm-hmm. like if you're indoors next to people wear a mask yes that's it there's no yeah, question
3: even, even if you're like six feet away and you go oh right. i can take it off don't tell kids to figure out how far they like no, no wear no. a mask mm-hmm. inside mm-hmm. that's yep. it yep. all
0: right and then the second thing i think you would say is go outside as much as possible mm-hmm. if not Everything outside.
3: Yep. Yeah. And they want masks. The kids, they really want mask breaks for the kids and stuff. I'm yeah. like, take your mask breaks outside. Yeah. You know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Eat outside. Eat outside. All these... You should take your mask off to eat outside. Sorry, I'm cutting you off. Go ahead. No,
0: no. Uh, mask break is a new term yeah. in this yeah, uh, it's a new one. crazy it's in world. one my, my
3: documents. It's in my documents. Yeah. Okay. I didn't make that.
0: Yeah. I'm loving talking to you, by the way. This is great. All right. And then the third thing I think you'd say is get one of these HEPA filters for every room
3: yeah you know so it turns out this so yeah so you hope some of the schools our school district actually has i found out you know the san diego unified actually has some funds to do quite a bit if we tell them what to do soon enough to retrofit to make the air cleaner so there's more extravagant more expensive things you can also kill it with uv light certain types of uv light putting that in the duct. so there's all kinds of tricks you can use to take this out but the simplest thing you know if some reason you're in a room that's not ventilated well enough it's old and they couldn't retrofit they couldn't get the filters in which is going to happen they're not going to be able to rebuild those in however many weeks or months or whatever so what i recommend for people like that is to you know get a standalone you know get a standalone air filter for your room and you know some places again aren't it's not accessible to everybody sometimes and so i just today spent a chunk of time getting input from people and looking at results from, they made these DIY ones you build. So you buy a MERV filter, you tape it to a box fan. It's like 30 bucks. It's on, there's a YouTube video and the particle counts just go away. And it's as good as my $1,200 one that I have in my house. So, Hmm. you know, it's really pretty easy to filter this out. So that's why we just got to get acknowledgement of it.
0: Uh, I hope some people are watching this. Let, let's. Uh, we have one question came in. Uh, somebody's playing scientist here in the comments. Uh, doesn't ionizing particles or particulates cause them to clump and gravity acts in them? What does ionizing mean? Is that, th- is that
3: true? Is you know, there's like a you can charge you can charge the air and they'll pick up a charge and they become s- sort of they can become stickier. But when you ionize air, you also form a lot of ozone, which is not healthy to breathe. So I that is not something we we recommend. We're much more, um, from an air quality perspective, more inclined to just get rid of the particles with a mechanical filtration, either filters or masks is, is better.
0: Okay. Um, if you're out there, if you have questions for how this virus spreads about aerosols, about what teachers, students, and principals, and parents can do to make their areas uh, safer, Uh, So what, have you actually talked to San Diego Unified um, uh, lately? What are those conversations like?
3: Uh, They're just trying to figure out how to open, when it can open sort of the most safely. Um, One thing, you know, you know, the air thing is the part that is kind of, unfortunately kind of the, the, I would say the, they've got the least guidance on. There's not a uniform plan for schools anywhere, um, unfortunately. So we're just trying to, you know, we will, San Diego unified will be safe. I promise when you go back, (laughs) because I, you know, I, this is my, you know, I'm going to help. Right. And there's other people that are going to help. And so I'm talking to all the other people that are helping all across the country, reopen schools and what they're doing and what they're recommending. So, you know, that's the biggest thing is just how to, how and when to open safe. And um, the other thing I will say is just a little plug to the public that if people would just listen to what they're being told in terms of you know staying home as much as you can wearing masks when you're out you know social distancing i mean i hear people will say oh masks are taking away our freedom it's quite the opposite masks actually if we wear masks we can go out we can get our our lives going again master i call them masks are freedom actually they're a little inconvenienced they're getting some nicer ones out there now we're trying to get better materials and we're going to have them for a while, but if we keep delaying, if people keep balking, it's just going to. We're going to sit here for another five or six months. It won't go away. But we have the power as a community to decide. Look at other places that have been it, like New York. They all decided as a community we're in it together. They had to see a lot of deaths. I don't want us to go through that to believe to believe that you can. But New York did it. Asian countries like Taiwan. Taiwan has twenty four million people compared to New York, which is 20 million people, Taiwan had seven, seven deaths, 400 cases, they wore masks, they never shut down their economy, they never stopped. So it's like, it's not, it's a no brainer. And people around us have been successful at it, we don't have to, you know, I'd rather have us, you know, do the part that works. And there's models of why it works. So if we sooner we do that, we just say we just started today everybody in San Diego just said we're in this and I do see it's getting better which is great right maybe about eight weeks we estimate that it would be so much safer to open schools so like we can either make a plan now and force our ways way back into schools you know and then probably have it not work so well because there's still quite a bit of community spread here in San Diego or we can just buckle down and do the right thing and open school safely, much more safely in eight weeks. So what that means is that people have to be happy with dining out. We're in San Diego. It's not that bad. And, you know, we have to quit pushing because if we keep starting and stopping and kind of going and kind of stopping, it's just delaying it. And then we'll never open the schools. And then we'll never get daycare and childcare and all that stuff going. You know what I mean? So the order has to be buckle down eight weeks, open school safely so that you don't get a rebound, and – and then everything should take off. But this start and stop is not working.
0: Yeah, I, I think that, uh, preach, because I just, um, it drives me nuts because I was saying like five, six months ago, like, we got to deal with the threat. Let's, uh, if you want to do anything, do it outside. If you can't do it outside, it should be closed. And okay. um, and whether it was bars, gyms, uh, schools, yeah, get your hair cut, trip. do it mm-hmm. outside. Why yeah. not? Wear a mask, yeah. do it outside. And we can probably get that. Now we're seeing... You know the numbers come down, but people are eating outside. There is activity happening outside, yeah. uh, and I think that goes to that point that the ventilation, the air is everything. Uh, right. And and what you're teaching the world, I think, and tomorrow, Tony Fauci, Scott Lewis, then Tony Fauci, <laughs> is uh, is is to embrace air circulation yeah. and clean yeah. it as best you can. Right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. it's it's, it's you know it's possible. It's totally doable there's solutions. It's not, but the more we deny it, again, the longer we're going to be in this, in this mess. So I think we're moving that way. I think, you know, getting, giving people advice, people are confused. You know, the public was told multiple things, not by me. You know, we've always said masks are important, but you know, the truth is, is that, the public doesn't know who to trust. They still can trust me, the scientists. We don't have anything other than our, our lives on the line, just like everybody else. Um, You know, this isn't even my main research, you know, as you know, and I've had to put everything on hold to just sort of deliver, help deliver this message. And I'm really happy. I mean, we wrote a letter to the world WHO. I don't know if you saw in the news, the 239 signatures that I was one of those, you know, putting pressure time to acknowledge airborne, you know, and, We're getting there. You know, the CDC is coming out with different WHO is budged. We're changing the policies. Um, and Tony Fauci spoke a couple times this week. I've seen him and he's like aerosols. I got to go learn about aerosols. And so he's going to learn about aer- more about aerosols tomorrow.
0: That was Kim Prather. She's an atmospheric chemist. This interview originally aired on our live stream video series, Voice of San Diego at Home. It streams every Wednesday and Friday at 5 p.m. You can watch all of the episodes from that series at voiceofsandiego.org slash at home. It's on YouTube. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter and Periscope and LinkedIn now, too. But you can also just see it on our site at voiceofsandiego.org slash at home. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast. It's the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. Every Saturday, Andy and I put together a newsletter called The Politics Report. We cover a lot of what you hear here and more. Get that at VOSD.org politics. This week, we're going to be going through some of the money totals, the fundraising totals so far that we have. Interesting stuff. Sarah's weekly letter is what we learned this week. It's a recap of the week, and Her own twist on something that's happened and that comes out every Sunday. Subscribe to her newsletter at VOSD.org slash this week. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief. Andrew Keats is Assistant Editor. Sarah Libby Managing Editor. And this show is produced by Nate John. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.